We are starting from the Mishnah on the bottom of Memches Amid Beis. What we're going to learn about today is the din of Dmei Vlado. So, Lach of the Torah talks about is when men are fighting, and uh, there was a woman there, and uh, one of the men strikes her, and it causes a miscarriage. So, it causes a miscarriage, there's a loss, there's a certain amount of money, the Dmei Vlados, which is paid to her husband. So, the Mishnah tells us <coughs> that that's all when a man is striking a pregnant woman, but what about Imagine an ox is trying to gore another ox because Isha and then it struck a pregnant woman instead. She miscarries Padre Mitzmei Vladas. Ox owner does not pay Mitzmei Vladas. Now, we're going to try to figure out is this specifically because the ox was not intending or because an ox's miscarriage you don't pay for? Which one is it? Is it? Do we need that variable that it was unintentional or not? So that will emerge in the Gemara. However, when a person is trying to strike his friend because instead he hits the pregnant woman and causes the miscarriage, he pays the husband the value of the levados. Now, this halacha has nothing, as we see in the Mishnah, is true whether or not he intended to strike her or not. How exactly is that assessed? We, we look at the value of the woman. How much was she worth before she gave birth? How much was she worth after giving birth? Meaning, there's a, we are, the, the premise of the Tanakhama is that there is a depreciation. There's something that will go down in the value of the woman after she miscarries because now um, she no longer has the fetus. So how much would she have fetched on the slave market when she had the fetus inside? How much would she fetch now? And that discrepancy is paid. Amr, Shem Gamliel, Shem Gamliel says, in Cain, if that's the way you're assessing him, what, what, what's happening is that a woman increases in value after she gives birth. So what in the world is going on? We have to wait for the Gemara to understand. Shem Gamliel has a big problem here with the Metzias, the way that the Tanakhama says, but it's hard for us to have any clue what's going on until we see that Gemara. What is Shem Gamliel's objection? You want to assess how much a fetus is worth? Just figure out how much they're worth. Meaning, go to the market and say, how much is it worth? If somebody wants to buy uh, an unborn fetus, and that's a lot simpler. So Tanakama is saying that you look at the depreciation in the value of the woman from when she was pregnant to when she was miscarried, and Rishon is saying no. We, you pay the market value of what someone would get, what, what, what someone would pay for the fetus itself. Now, who do you pay? If you know it's in Labal, this is what the Torah says that it goes to the Baal. It's pretty explicit um, in the Torah. If you mean Labal, what happens if there's no husband? Let's say the husband passed on. So notice in the Yarsha, then it goes to the husband's Yarsha, meaning it still does not go to the woman who miscarried. Even if the husband is not there, he's really the recipient of the payment. So instead of going to the woman still, it's going to go to the husband's Yarsha. Imagine she was a Kanani maidservant who had been freed, and she's marrying a um, freed Kanani slave. Or she converted to Judaism, and she's marrying a regular convert. Anyway, either way, the point of these cases is that when her husband dies, it's conceivable that there's no Yarsha. So, you know, these are people it's considered like a gayers happened to them. Okay? So it's very possible that they're not related to their biological relatives. So then what happens? So the halacha is potter. The damager is totally potter from paying. Or it's like zochenet. The idea is, is that if it's supposed to go to the, to, to the man or to his yarshim, and if that does not exist, then he's just totally off the hook. But the Mishnah seems to imply that there's no case where he would ever pay the woman. So I said, what was the what was the first ruling of the Mishnah? That when the ox was was uh, caused the miscarriage, you don't pay. But the Mishnah seemed to say, time is coming the was because the ox wasn't intending for the miscarriage. It was trying to gore another ox. Hamaskav and Isha, it sounds like for the Mishnah that had the ox been intending 
to cause a miscarriage, then the owner would in fact pay the Dmei Vlados to her husband. Says the Gemara, let me have you to Ravada 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 Shabbat 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 No, even if the oxen are intending to gore the woman to cause the miscarriage, the owners are still potter because the idea is that the Torah says when men are fighting, when men are fighting imply, implies, but not when oxen are fighting. So therefore, the whole parish of the sin doesn't apply to uh, oxen. So why is the mission saying because of the case where the ox was going for its friend? Even if the ox would be going for the miscarriage, the halacha should be that the owner would be exempt. You're right. Even if the auction would be intending to court the woman, the owner would be exempt from paying to me. Why is the Mishnah speaking about a case where it's intending for another ox? I did just for the symmetry of the Mishnah. Since in the end of the Mishnah, in the contrast with people, we speak about other Mishnah 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 where it's one person intending to strike his friend, and that's where he's liable. That's the case of the Torah. Where even though he wasn't intending for the woman, he's intending for his friend. Still, the inadvertent blow makes him mukhliyev to pay for the dwellers, for the vlogs. So therefore, the ratio as well teaches about a case where an ox intends to gore its fellow ox. But in a chanami, the tour of the ratio has nothing to do because it was inadvertent. The tour of the ratio is because it's an ox. Even if the ox would be intending, the owner would still be positive. Continues the Gemara, there's one exception to this rule. I don't know what we've been saying, that an ox does not pay to my vladas. An ox gores a pregnant, a pregnant a maidservant and causes miscarriage, then you do have to pay the Dumei Vlados, and here it would go to the maidservant's owner. Why? Because a maidservant, even though it seems like it's a human being, it's treated halakhically like an animal. Basically, the image, it's no different than if it damaged a pregnant donkey. Where do we see that Canaanites are treated like donkeys? Avram told his slave, Eliezer, stay back with him, Achamar, with the donkey, which expounds, that the slaves, the Canaanite slaves, are like Donkeys. So this enslaved Kanana is, is always like an animal. So therefore, just as when an ox would do damage to a pregnant donkey, who would have to pay the owner, so too here, when the ox does damage to the fetus of a Kanana slave woman, you're just paying for property. You don't look at it like any like human life. So when it's a, it, it does it to a free person, so then that's where the owner of the ox is totally potter. But if it's doing it to a Kanana slave woman, to her fetus, then you would, in fact, pay to make Vlados, and that would go to the owner of the property, to the, owner, to the, to the master in that scenario. All right, then we speak about the way that you assess the mevlados. So we say the depreciation of the woman's value on the slave market. So the Lord says mevlados, you call that the value of the offspring. Shevach vlados mevlados, it should have said the value of the offspring and the appreciation that happens because of the offspring. What does that mean? There's really two things that happens. There's a difference um, when a person's pregnant, the reason why she gets, the reason why this maidservant would get a higher price in the market is for two reasons. First of all, she, she's going to have children. And second of all, her body is bigger. She's a more robust human being at that point. So therefore, what we're saying is that there really should be two things that should be reflected in the discrepancy. Not just, it's not just the value of the, of the offspring, but it's also plus the value of the robustness that the woman has gained. And now she has lost that. So the woman says, you're right. That's all, that's all part of it. Because... In other words, what the Gemara is bothered by is that clearly that's going into the price because you're saying the difference in her value before and after the miscarriage. So that's clearly reflecting <coughs> the nuance of, the, of, of losing her weight as well. So how can we describe that as the value of her offspring? It's more than just the value of her offspring. So it says, you're right, the mission means to say that. How do you pay for the value of her offspring and the appreciation that occurs through the offspring? The answer is, so all that discrepancy in the market is not only the value of the fetus itself, but also the change in value to the woman, which is the cause of the fetus. That's all the position of the Tanakama.
comes along with Shemuel Gamliel, he makes a very tough point, which is that the woman increases in value after she gives birth. So, and rather, you assess just the value of the fetus. Why Kamar? What in the world does he mean to say? Amar Rabbah Kamar, this is what he means. Is a woman actually more valuable after giving birth than uh, before giving birth than after giving birth? Your whole premise is that she's worth more with the fetus inside than after. But your whole premise is wrong. Look at the market. There's greater market value when she's not pregnant. And the reason for that is that there's a mortal danger that comes, which reduces her value, right? Maybe she'll die in childbirth. You don't want to buy a slave that's on the risk of dying. So therefore, your whole thing is, makes no sense. You're paying for the loss by looking at the difference in her. If anything, her price is going to go up after she miscarries. Rather, we have to assess just on the market how much someone would pay for the fetus. Says the Gemara, that's, we find support for what Rabbi said. He prices us like that. Is a woman worth more value before giving birth than after? She'll be worth more after. So that's the price which says exactly like Rabbah. Says the Gemara, another shot. Here we're not dealing, Rabbah says, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel is dealing with another point. Not with the value of the offspring itself, but the assessment of how much the woman is worth more. When a woman is appreciating through her pregnancy, is that only for the man that she's giving birth for? Meaning, and she has nothing for herself in the appreciation of her body? Meaning, what we're bothered by is, we say the fetus, the may of Lodos, goes only to the husband. So the fetus itself, you could hear, he's the father of the kid. But the extra weight that she's having, right, that's, the husband's also? That doesn't seem to make sense. That doesn't be real only to the husband. She has a, a part in that as well. You says the value of the offspring itself, and that goes to the husband. The appreciation that comes in the woman's body, that's half to the husband and half to the woman. So according to Rabbi Shem Gamliel, is making a different point. The reason he's saying don't just make it the, the, the change in her value is because it's not fair that the, the change in her weight should all go to her husband. That change in the weight should be split 50-50. So that's why so that's for Shimon Gamliel's objection, according to Rafa. Says the Martanami Yahu, we have a price of which alludes to Rafa's friend. Amr Shimon Gamliel, Vikri, Isha, Lemi, Shabbat, Mishabachas, is her increase in value only entitled to the man that she's giving birth for? And she gets nothing for that appreciation? That doesn't make sense. We assess the damage to the woman in and of it by itself. And that this is really a totally tangential point. That there's also damage to her body, which is assessed independently. That can, that can be a stam. That's obviously going to her. There could be pain that she got from the blow that goes to herself as well. He says the value of the offspring and that individually goes to the husband. And then the value of the appreciation to her body is split between the husband and the wife. All right, so we go, very good. We have two explanations from Gamliel Rav, uh, between Rava and Rava. But Lamaisa, it comes out that there's a stira here in the Gamliel. Why? Because in the latter Brisa, we're saying that the husband and the wife divide the appreciation in her body, which is a mashma that she has greater value when she's pregnant than afterwards, right? That, and, and we're just saying that they should divide it. The former Brisa was saying that the woman is worth more after childbirth than it is while she's pregnant. So which one is it? Meaning, Rav and Rava can't both totally be right, right? What is the Matthias? When does a woman fetch more? After she miscarries or before she miscarries? The first idea we're saying is that she's worth more after. But the, 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 the second interpretation is saying, no, she is worth more before, but that she's split between the husband and the wife in her body. So which one is it? Says the Gemara, Lokasha, Khan, Makaris. The first part you're dealing with a firstborn. A firstborn, she hasn't proven that her body can take it. So there's this likelihood that she might die, and therefore she's worth more after she miscarries. Khan, Mashin, Makaris. A lot of brides we're talking with a woman who is dealing with a, a, a child that is not her first. So we assume that she will survive because she already had a child previously and was healthy. 
So therefore, she will in fact be worth more after. I'm sorry, she will be worth more before. But the Barbara Shemakamlil's point rather is that the appreciation in, through the fat of her body should be split between her and her husband. So now the Gemara goes back to the Tanakhama. What's Takab Shot? Must be the Rabbanon disagree. They say the appreciation in her body itself also is completely only to the husband. Why is that? Like it's Taka, not a logical point. My time, like it says in the Bible, I already said that her offspring are miscarried. Any day she hard, don't I realize she was pregnant? Why does there have to say that she was a pregnant woman? Just say, if it strikes a woman and she miscarries, then I'll figure out that she's pregnant. Comes to teach you that the shvache rayon, the appreciation her value because of the pregnancy is also being paid to the husband. So it's a new trash according to the Rabbanon that all the extra fat is exclusive to the husband. What does he do with harm? You're only chayav to pay for the value of the offspring if he hits her opposite the womb. Meaning there's ideas jolting the pregnant woman implies it has to be they strike her in the place of the pregnancy. So what does that mean? The whole, you know, anywhere from where the, the strike can reach the kid, the whole torso area. However, that comes to exclude if she strikes her on the hand or foot, even if somehow that ends up causing a miscarriage that's indirect, and therefore you don't pay in that case. That's what Rashim Gamliel uses the word hard for. All right, then we learn that if you pay the husband, if the husband is Yarshim, pay the Yarshim. If there's no Yarshim, then he's Potter. So I said, Shifun Shachar, here is Potter. So Amar Abba, Lo Shanu. When did the Mishnah say that he gets off the hook? Shachavu Bakaya Ger, Umeza Ger. He struck her while the husband was alive. The Ger was alive. So he was entitled to the Ger. But now that the Ger dies, now he's off the hook. Even the Chavavah Bakaya Ger, since he struck her and caused her to miscarry while the Ger was alive. Zachavu Ger, the Ger already acquires that debt. Even the Mezger, now that he dies, this damager automatically acquires it from the convert, right? So that's always the idea. The convert leaves no Yarshim. Whoever comes first, it's theirs. So he leaves the debt, and now the damager automatically acquires the debt. He doesn't pay anyone. If he strikes the woman after the death of her husband, then she acquires offspring, meaning she's carrying them at the time of her husband's death. So even though the offspring are initially considered the husband's property, it's like she seizes it automatically upon the death of the Ger. So now it's her offspring. So when he strikes her after the death of her husband, he would in fact pay her. So he would have to pay her. So there is a case where you pay the wife according to Rabbah. You pay the wife in a case where it's a husband who died and there's no heirs. So therefore she's Zolche and the offspring from him. And now that he strikes her, he would pay her. The mission was not talking about that. The mission was, telling, was saying where he struck her when the Ger was alive and then subsequently the Ger died. Are offspring bundles of money that you can acquire them? Meaning, yes, you can acquire ordinary money. You don't acquire offspring. What he's saying is that the whole thing is not a question of ownership. It's exerus akasif that you pay the husband. It's not the vard that it's like a sense of ownership. The husband owns the fetus and now she's zolcha in the fetus. It's not money. What are you talking about? And the address is always for the husband. You don't pay the woman. So Chista says, Ella isi The idea is different. It's only when the husband is here that the offspring are killed. Hashem gives him the money. If the husband is not here and the offspring are killed, lo, it didn't give the, the right to collect to anyone. So what we're saying is, again, it's not damages you're paying to any owner. No one owns the fetus. The fetus is his own life. The idea is that there's exerus akosav. You pay the you pay, you pay the bow when the bow is alive. The bow is dead. You don't pay. It doesn't make a difference if it strikes or... While the husband is alive, after the husband is alive, it makes no difference. So a huge machlok is here between Rabbah and Rabbah. So according to Rabbah, if you strike the woman after her husband is dead 
and there are no Yarshim, she is paid. According to Rav Chisda, she's never paid. So Mesa, we have a Kashra from the bride. So you can see she feels to allow someone to strike a pregnant woman and the offspring is miscarried. Notice in Sarasar Leisha, you pay damages and pain to the woman. To pay Vlatos Labal, you pay the value of the offspring to the Baal. In Labal, the Baal is not here, it's in the Yarshim. You pay the Yarshim. In Aisha, if the woman is not alive, notice in the Yarshim, you give the damages that should have gone to her to her Yarshim. If it's a case where the husband has no Yarshim, so the damager requires the rights to the payment, he's totally exempt. So what do we see? We see, like Rav Chista, that instead of saying when there's no husband, you pay her, we say when there's no husband, uh, the, the damager is totally potter. Says the Gemara. That's not a proof. Is that any different than the mission? The mission also accepted the damager. But the point was, we said that maybe it's only when he struck her when the husband was alive. But our question is only if he strikes her after the husband died. There, Rabbi has to say that the woman is Zoha and the offspring. And once the woman is Zoha and the offspring, then he would have to pay her. But in the, in the simple case where he strikes her in the lifetime of her husband, and the husband dies in the ocean, then of course, that's the case where he's sponsored. If you buy the same, it could be the price that's also talking about where you struck her after the death of the convert. And you should change the price to say, that she, the convert's wife, in fact, acquires the right to payment for the offspring. So it, it, when it said, we thought it meant that he becomes potter. We're actually saying, that the Torah gave her the rights to the offspring at that point, and in fact, he would, he would have to pay her. So again, what's the if a woman dies, if the husband dies, he has no yarsh. At this point, According to Rabbah, it's like the woman acquires her offspring, and if he, she struck then, and, it, and there's a miscarriage, she collects the payment. Rav Chista says a woman never collects the payment. The damager would just be totally pocket. It says in the price of Basis Yisrael, she needs to look at it for this every minute. A regular Basis Yisrael is married to a convert, she gets pregnant. If someone strikes her while the convert's alive, causing the miscarriage, you have to pay to the guy. That's if he's alive. If he strikes her after the convert's death, that's mamish arkes. One Basis says he has to pay, one Basis says he doesn't have to pay. My love to Tanoi, so very clearly we see that our issue is a machlokas tanoim, rabba nor chista, arguing machlokas tanoim. So the Gemara, rabba, according to rabba, vayz tanoi, he's forced to say it's a machlokas tanoim, meaning the brisa that exempts the damager is not like rabba. The only thing rabba can respond is that the other tana that says your chayev is holds like me. According to Rav Chisitz, we also have to say that maybe there's a way that we could say both prices are compatible with Rav Chisitz. Again, Rav Chisitz holds you never pay the woman. So the Mars says, Lo kasha, we could do it. We could say they're not dealing with the payment for the offspring. They're actually dealing with the payment for the appreciation in the woman herself. So now we could say, Ha, Rabbanon, this price, uh, which exempts and follows the Rabbanon, because the Rabbanon say that the extra fat also goes to the husband. So the same way Dmei Vlados is never paid to the woman, the appreciation in her body from the fat is also never paid to her. So that's why it says the damage is exempt. That price, which says, holds like Remember, Rishim Gamliel holds that the extra fat in her body she is entitled to. So even if her husband was a convert who died, the damage remains liable. To pay what? Not the Dmei Vlados, but the dummy of the extra fat that depreciated through her through her miscarriage. Says the Gemara, if that's the Pshadi, if that's what the price is saying, we're going to Mishim Gamliel, and it's referring to the payment of her appreciation of pregnancy. So why are we dealing with the case because she was struck after the convert's death? Even if it happened during his lifetime, she also should receive half the payment. So if you're just trying to say Mishim Gamliel's point that she receives a chilek 
of the value of her fat, then don't say if she was struck after death of her husband, she gets paid. She can get paid even, even if her husband is alive, she still receives half. So the Gemara explains, no, we want to bring out the point. During her lifetime, she only gets half. It's going to be split. But after his death, she's going to get the whole payment. And that's the idea that the damager is have to pay her in full. Even if the husband would be alive, she would only get half. Now the husband's dead, the extra fat in her, he would totally get. So again, we're defending like Rav Chistar, the Dmei Vlados are never going to the woman. The Dmei Vlados, even if she struck after the, the damager is exempt from. That we're talking rather than the price about paying the appreciation of her fat, which according to her from Gamliel, she has a right to. When, when the husband's alive, would we split 50-50 with her husband? Now the husband's dead. We say that she gets the whole right to that appreciation. Says the Gemara, if you buy him, or we could say both prices hold like Mishra Gamliel, that, that the main blood does go to the husband, but the shvach of her fat part of it goes to the woman. And we could just say, is the bride, so that says the damager is liable, means liable to pay the value of, of the fat. is the bride, so that says he's exempt. That's talking about paying the Dmei Vlados. All right, so the Gemara, very similar explanations, just two different subtleties how we work it out, but the Gemara has a problem with both explanations. Amri, Mishach Vlados, Lishma, Dmei Vlados. From the law of Shvach Vlados, we should understand Vlad, the Dmei Vlados as well. What exactly does that mean? In other words, we're agreeing that when the, the, the ger dies, his, the wife is acquiring his share of the appreciation of, in her body. Meaning, if he would be alive, it would be 50-50. What are we saying? After he dies, then he, the, the damager pays the full discrepancy of the depreciation of her fat to the wife. So we see, what do we see? That she's inheriting somewhat of what, she, of what the husband would have got. So you should say the same thing for the offspring itself. Wait, wait, what are you saying? That offspring is totally the husband's. You never pay that to the wife. But, but, but you, you concede that there is a payment that the share of the half of the husband would have gotten in the, in the extra fat that you can see that she inherits that. If you agree that according to Shemun Gamliel, who gives the husband half the appreciation of pregnancy, but the wife, uh, 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 the wife of the gear acquires her husband's share upon his death. So we should assume that like the Rabbanon, who always give the husband the whole payment, she should also acquire his share. So basically what we're saying is we don't we have a kasha in Rav Chista. What's the pshat Rav Chista said? You don't pay the woman after, after the husband dies if you strike her because he holds that the wife doesn't inher- inherit the husband's share. So then why is he mask him? That's what we're basically asking. Why is she yes inheriting the half that the husband would get about the, the value of her pregnancy? So the Gemara says, Amri, lo, there's a huge difference. Shvach, those regarding the appreciation in the woman, the Shaykh she has a hand in it. She has half of it while she's alive. So therefore, even though she splits it with her husband when he's alive, but if the husband's gone, now her hand automatically assumes the whole payment. But because that's because she fundamentally had a schus in her own fat. But to make love this regarding the value of the fetus itself, she has no schus in it. That's all of it goes to the husband. So and then there's no law that if the husband dies, she gets it. That's Rav Chista's big lumness. That the vlodas are completely to the bow. The value of the fat, she has a yacht in it. She gets it half when he's alive. So now that he's dead, she gets all of it. Continues the Gemara. This is a tangent. Once we spoke about a ger who dies without Yarshim, but I mean a so again, the big premise is when a ger dies without Yarshim, whoever comes and takes an asset, whoever takes it first gets it. Someone who takes hold of the documents of a ger who dies without Yarshim. So what's the case? Rashi seems to learn that um, the, 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 the case is that he was a creditor. So in other words, that you're trying to be masik in the shtaros towards the towards towards the, the those fields that were owed to him. However, the other Bishon say that's obviously ridiculous because all the debt will be canceled, right? That, so there's, it's very clear that there's not going to be anything to lend. Other, other Mepharshim learned that it means deeds to property. 
you're, you're taking the paper, which is a deed to property. Now, are you making a Kenyan on the land? That's the question. So you're taking the piece of paper. Let's just go like the other Rishonah for a second. That's a deed to a property. Do you acquire the property by doing that? Come on, do we say, Presumably the guy thinks, hey, I'll take the document. If I take the deed, it's like I'm making a Kenyan on the land. And that certainly does not work. There's no such Kenyan in halacha. Picking up a star does not make you, that says, you know, this is a deed to the property, does not make you an owner of the land. So therefore, he, he didn't make a kin on the land. Whoever, someone else would go to the land first and let's say, you know, make a kin chazaka, he'd be the owner. And in terms of the value of the piece of paper, he probably is not going to the star either. It's a That wasn't his intent. Probably when he picked up the deed, he was trying to acquire the land. So therefore, he didn't make a Maisa Kenyan on the Shtar. He doesn't have that as well. So you know what the Gemara ultimately is trying to figure out? Was he cornered the piece of paper as a piece of paper? He clearly was not cornered the land, but was he cornered the piece of paper as a piece of paper? So the Gemara doesn't like that we're even discussing this. Amalei, Ani Mori, answer this. Do people need the document to wrap over the mouth of a flask? Meaning to say, like, why would you think that anyone is interested in intending to acquire the paper when there's no use for, for, for such a thing? So the Gemara says, Amalei, lots of lots of Yeah, to wrap and wrap. What's your problem? It's a matter of value. Sometimes you need a piece of paper to wrap around your bottle. What, what's, what's so hard about this conversation? So myself, the Gemara doesn't resolve the conversation, but the conversation is, Garrett dies, you can take his property, you know, if you didn't make a Kenyan on his land, but you pick up the deed, clearly you're not going to the property. The question is, are you Kona? Does the Maisa Kenyan effect that you own the piece of property, the, the piece of paper itself? And a related issue here, I'm a Rabbi Mashkono, What happens if there's a Mashkono? A Mashkono is when you borrow money, you give a security to the creditor to hold that, that hypothetically you could collect from if it's defaulted. So what happens if there's a security of a regular Yid who's in the position, and now he gives it to a Ger? Who lent him money? Who makes a gear? Now the gear dies without without any yarshim. Another Israel comes and he seizes the security. He's trying to be konet. So what's the halacha? We take it away from him and we return it to the regular Israel. My time. Well, what's the reason? Because, in other words, what's the gemara bavarni? Why don't you say that in the mashkun? Right? We always know that big zog from Rabchaim, All the sugas in the mashkun look the chayiv. Right? The, the the debt is in the mashkun. So why don't you say if I take the mashkun, I'm acquiring I'm acquiring the debt. So now you owe me because I'm holding the mashkun. The answer is, given the misaker pakali shibude, because the moment that the gear died, the lien on the security is dissolved, and the security therefore automatically goes back to its original owner. Basically, we're saying when a gear dies without yarshim, any outstanding debt is automatically canceled. It's considered like yours, you, the, the borrower, is automatically zochen the debt. So by the time that the guy goes to seize the to, 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 to seize the, the mashkun, it's like debt has already been canceled. However, what about the opposite? Let's say security of the ger. The ger here borrowed money. It's in the possession of Yisrael who had lent him money. Mace ger, now the ger dies. Some other yid comes and tries to seize the security to acquire it. Allah is the lender who originally had the security. He's zokeh on a portion of the security that corresponds to the amount of money that he had lent to the, to the, to the convert. But if the security is worth more, then the person who goes and takes it first is going to the remainder. So basically what we're saying is that the lien is there on the mashkun, despite the fact that the ger dies, right? That's good for the var. The chov looks in the mashkun. So what the value of the debt is automatically still assumed to the creditor. But if there's more value there, then whoever goes and takes it first, he made the first kinyan on the rest and it would go to him. Says the Gemara, why am I? Even if he didn't do anything, even if the lender didn't have intent to acquire it, he wasn't there, it was in his rishos, it was in his domain, and his chatzrish are automatically acquired from him, right? That's the whole point. He's holding on to the, to the, to the security. So automatically, it's in his domain. When the ger dies, he becomes the first one to own it. Hamar. The person's courtyard could be conned something for the owner. 
uh, even without his knowledge, even if he doesn't know, the court should automatically acquire for him. Says the Ami, how come my skin is delayed? The lender is not in town. If you're not around, then your, your chatzar is not calling for you. Call it easily today when the, the person himself is in town. If he wants to acquire it, he could do, he can make his own maizik kinyan. So his chatzar also could acquire for him. And he doesn't have to do a kinyan. But if he's not around, if he wanted to acquire it, he wouldn't be able to. Chatzar as well cannot work. That's the lumdus the Gemara is trying to suggest. That's the case where someone else was able to seize the security first. However, the Gemara says it's not true. The Hilchasa was the halacha, the lace of a chatzero. The low kana, the case of Rabbah was only in a case where where the security was not around in the courtyard at the time of the death, the death of the of the ger. But if it would be around, even if the person wouldn't be around, the chatzar would be kona. In other words, the gemara is passing a chatzar is kona for a person even if the owner is not around. The case has to be in order to make sense of this is that this the security was not present in the courtyard for whatever reason, and that's why it's negaya that the the owner the creditor only was kona connected to but the other person who seized it could be kona uh, the rest of it.